Morning, Christchurch. You guys all right? Awesome. It's amazing to worship God, isn't it? It's amazing that we can come together as a family and just worship God together. I think it is an absolute privilege. Um, for you guys who don't know me, uh, my name's Owen. I am at Moreland's Bible College, and I'm placed here at Helsham. And so uh, I do sort of a bit of this and that, some youth work. I jump and make funny actions at the front sometimes, it would seem. Um, and actually, I've really enjoyed it. It's really weird that you can, yeah, that actually last week we were in a field in... Leamington Spa, and we had 200 young uh, kids who were just jumping up and down, screaming for Jesus. And then obviously we're here as well, and it's the same God who is blessing everyone, whether you're this small or whether you're that tall, whether you're just being born or whether you're, you know, nearing the end, and you're going to go and be with him forever. Actually, it's the same God who sustains throughout, and it's just incredible. In this series, we've been looking at faith too. So if you haven't been here the last few weeks, we've been looking at Old Testament characters who had faith in their lives that God gave them and uh, how then we should have faith to live for Jesus in our families, in our schools, and our workplaces. Um, in the last few weeks, we've been in the book of Genesis. We've been looking at faith to be different, uh, to set ourselves apart with Noah, faith to follow, uh, faith to be faithful, uh, and faith to change. And now we're now going to take a little bit of a jump, uh, missing Joseph out. We're going to come back to him later, and we're going to go on to Moses in Exodus with faith to deliver. Now, I don't know if you've ever been given a task to fulfill within a very short space of time, a very high-pressured task. I used to work in, um, I never know whether I should say actual names. I worked in a high-end supermarket. Um, we all know it's Waitrose. And... Um, they, and, and one of the good things about waitresses is they do entertaining, which basically means that they deliver food in and people can take it for parties and things. And one of the things they do, because they're very posh, is canapes. And so you used to get boxes of sort of 60 canapes, and you had to be very careful which ones you gave out, because you'd have multiple ones going each day, and they had different dates on them. And on one day, unfortunately, someone, it wasn't me, um, gave the wrong date out. And so that meant that someone had, well, basically, by the time their party would have come, the canapes would have been moldy. And so they said, okay, we're going to need to ring the person and we're going to have to work out what they want. We've got three options. They can have a refund and nothing. We can order some new ones and they'll be a bit late, so if they want to postpone the party, or we can make some. And I thought, okay. So I said, okay, who's doing the phone call? And they said, you. And I said, okay, why is that? And they said, apparently I have the best phone voice. Don't know what that means. But it's the same as saying you have a face for radio, isn't it? Um, so I rang this person and I said, you know, what, what would you like? And would you like the first option? She said no. And I said, the second one? She said no. And she said, actually, the third option would be really lovely. If you want to make some canapes, that would be great, as long as they're identical to the ones that were made from entertaining. And I'm like, okay. So I turn to, the, to my manager and I say, yes, what? Okay, then she wants us to make them. Who's making them? And of course, as you can notice by my pause, I was. <laughs> so I went round and I got all of these different ingredients. There was um, like mustard, piccalilli and different things. There was salmon. And I spent ages cutting them out. I used a, a glass to cut out the, the sort of canapé bits so that it was the right shape and size. And I put them all together and I got them out. And the pressure... The pressure was unbelievable. The pressure to deliver these canapes on time, looking good, as if they'd been made by a machine, was enormous. 
And I want to say that that's sometimes how we feel, isn't it? The pressure feels big. And Moses, I, I want to go out to say that Moses had a bigger pressure than probably most of us will, will face in all that he did. And when I first started praying about what God wanted me to talk about, I thought about the sort of classic Moses ones, you know, do I go burning bush encounter, you know, very holy, it's God gives him that task and he goes forward and, yeah, do I do that? And do I do the Red Sea, where they part the sea and God delivers his people and they walk through and I thought, no, do they do Sinai, where God comes down and gives him the law? And actually I felt that God was saying to... Uh, preach out of Moses, um, Exodus 6. So if you've got a Bible and you'd like to turn to Exodus 6, then we're going to preach from there. Okay. It will be on the screen as well, don't worry. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of the land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as God Almighty, but my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they have lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burden of Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and I give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord." Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall I speak to Pharaoh? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Yeah, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that you are a God who delivers. We start with that straight away, that you are a God who is majestic. You're a God who loves his people and wants to be with his people. You don't just, you're not just distant. You don't just make the world and then leave it to sort of do what it wants. You are close and wanting to be in close relationship with your people. Lord, let us have attentive ears as we come into this passage. Amen. I think often when we look at uh, faith and we look at these um, points in Moses' life, we often do look to the big points of faith in the sense of the Red Sea and when God meets with him powerfully on those mountaintop experiences, don't we? I think we often go to the burning bush because we say the burning bush happened and then God delivered his people, the promise is true, yay. But I think sometimes we forget that there's eight chapters in between that are quite difficult <laughs> for Moses. And so I think sometimes we see it a little bit like Shrek, where he gets given this task to go and rescue the princess, and they go in to rescue the princess, and they get her, and they get her out, and it's all within about 15 minutes of the film. It's not that much time. It doesn't look like he originally intended it to, but it's quite quick. But actually, I don't think 
that that's what it's like. Because we look, overlook eight chapters where Moses is trying his best. Bless him, he's trying his best. The people are complaining, as people often do. The Pharaoh is having none of it. And to anyone who randomly picks up a Bible, it looks like God's making Moses' life harder because he's hardening Pharaoh's heart. And so we sometimes forget that there is this time in between, which I think is a little bit more like Prison Break. I don't know if you've ever watched Prison Break, but um, every episode, they want to escape. They want to get out there, and they have a plan, and the plan seems foolproof. And then every week, something gets in the way, and then you spend an episode trying to get back to where you were at the start by going, next week, we will get out. Uh, I won't spoil any of the rest of it for you. But I think that stress and arguments and heartache, we sometimes forget that those things happened because we read over them when we read through the Bible. But that happened because you have multiple plagues in which Moses goes back to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And he says, no. And then Moses goes back to the Israelites and then he goes back to Pharaoh. And I think we forget that this time happens. And I think this is the point in which Moses' faith for the deliverance of his people is most tested. And so because of that, I think it's a really good thing that we look at this. Now, you may be here this morning in one of three places. You may be here as a Christian this morning, and actually life's going really well for you at the moment. It's not perfect, but life is going well. God's promises are there, and you are getting into the Bible. You're interceding in prayer, and you've got people on your heart who you know need to know Jesus. Maybe it's a specific area. Maybe it's a a housing estate. Maybe it's a workplace. Maybe it's an office. The second type is, if you're a Christian today, but at the moment, life's hard. Every turn seems to be tough, and doors are closing wherever you seem to go, and you're just saying, God, I need you to deliver. I need you to deliver right now. And thirdly, you might be here when you're not a Christian. You may not have accepted Jesus, but you may have heard over the last few weeks about faith and And you're thinking, well, isn't faith just a set of rules that we need to follow? And at the end of it, we feel a bit better about ourselves. I want to say, no matter who you are, actually, you are so welcome this morning. And God wants to speak to each individual one of you. He is going to deliver you into your lives. I really believe that. He will deliver when it comes to your lives. Now, why does Moses have faith? I think that's that's a... pretty good starting point when I started to think about it. Why does Moses have faith in God? Because it's all good saying he has faith, but why? What backs that up? If I decide I'm going to stand on a table, say I got one of those small little tables, and I decided I was just going to jump off and I was going to get caught, and I can choose between Sam Kendall and Erin Joyce. I'm not going to do this experiment, don't worry. Um, and I jump off, and I expect one of them to catch me. Which do you think probably is more likely, as much as Erin is, is a tank? How much do you think, how, who, who do you think is more likely to catch me? Sam. Why? He's bigger. He's stronger. He would seem to be the evident choice, wouldn't he? He has proved himself through many acts of sort of tough sports and things like that, you know, knocking over children on a Friday night. He has proven that he has what it takes. And maybe one day Erin also will prove that. But until such a point, when I leap off a table, I want Sam to catch me. (laughs) 
So I believe that God wants to reveal to you guys this morning, actually, a part of his character that means that when you come to wanting faith, it's evident. I want to be, you guys to be so sure of God's character that you can jump off that table knowing that God's going to catch you because actually you know in his character, you know because you know because you know that he is there for you. And so I want to paint a picture as best as I can with the limitation of human words. A picture why Moses puts his trust in God and why you should too. Now, at this point... You can choose to do multiple things. You can close your eyes. I'm just going to read something I've written. You can close your eyes. You can look around. You can read your Bible. You can make notes. But I just want to read this. Before the light of the sun, before the earth was formed, before matter mattered, God existed. A holy, perfect, pure God in three persons. God existed in perfect community. The Father delighting in the Son, the Son delighting in the Spirit, and the Spirit delighting in the Father. God was not lonely. God was not incomplete. God was. And God was love. And from that overspill of love, God shared this through creation. He created a universe. He created solar systems and galaxies. He created a world that's perfect for life, the exact distance in orbit of the Son the exact gravitational constant. He made plants that absorb carbon dioxide and release oxygen. He made animals that cultivate plants. And then he made mankind. He formed man from the dust of the earth and made him in his image. And then he looked at man and woman and he said that they were very good. He placed them in the Garden of Eden and spent time with them, walking in the cool of the day, enjoying their company, and them reveling in the glory of walking with God, all the time with him knowing that they would soon walk away from him, that the love he showed them would be seen as inadequate by them as they tried to find fulfillment in other areas. And so it came to pass that Adam and Eve bit into that fruit and separated themselves from God under the curse of sin. And God had to remove his creation from the garden and send them out into a now fallen world. The anguish of a loving God to see his creation soil his image and desecrate themselves before him. The mercy that the Father, Son, and Spirit have towards humanity as they look forward to the right time for this perfect rescue plan, carefully formed through Noah, Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, all leading to a Roman cross, a perfect sacrifice, and one of the members of the Trinity, that perfect community, taking on the sin of mankind and feeling separation from the Father and the Spirit as the righteous wrath of God is poured upon him. Why have I told you that? Many of you may think I've been a Christian for a long time. But I want to say that until you realize the pain of the heart of God, the pain of the Father, Son, and Spirit, seeing his created likeness separate themselves from him in sin, you'll struggle to understand the trust that God, Moses has in God. Moses met with a perfect, pure, holy God. And in that, he saw the wretchedness of humanity. But the love of God is so great that he has love for all people. And that is why Moses trusts 
God. It's clear in God's character that he delivers when it comes to deliverance because of the love that he has for each individual child. Throughout the passage and beforehand in Exodus 5, God says, I am the God of your ancestors, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this isn't God introducing himself again and again. It's not that God thinks that Moses has forgotten who he is and he now needs to introduce himself. He's talking about a running thread that goes throughout Scripture. That for Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, when they trusted in God, he delivered. And he proved again and again that he is love, he is justice, and he is freedom. It was clear to Moses, and how much more should it be clear to us? Because we, we sit on the other side of it, don't we? We see what Jesus has done on the cross. How much more so should it be clear for us? Our faith to deliver must come from a position that knowing that God will deliver. When you think something is sure, you don't question it. I drove over today. I didn't check my steering wheel when, before I left and then indicate and go. I just indicated and went because I trusted that the car went through. Now, obviously, sometimes cars don't always work. But actually, when you trust in God, they will never have a problem because our ability to trust in God should be second nature because of who he is. So if you're that first person here today and God is good in your life and he want, you want to see more of him in other people's lives, God wants to say he has the power to bring freedom and deliverance to each individual neighbour that you're praying for. And he wants your heart to burn with the love and mercy that he has for other people. If you're here today and life's hard, God wants to tell you he sees you in that pain, that grieving pain when the world, it's not as it should be. He sees it, and he wants you to know that he weeps too. When he sees injustice, he weeps. When he weeps, when he sees sickness and death. But he also wants you to know that he's brought you into freedom through Christ, and the Holy Spirit dwells within you. And you're not weak, but you are strong in him this morning. And if you don't know God this morning, if you don't know him personally, God wants to invite you to get to know him better this morning. All that I've spoken about, it's not specific just to people who have raised their hands in the past. It's for everyone. God's love is for everyone. And you can enter into his family today. Whoever you are this morning, if you leave through that door with more of an understanding of the delivering love of God, I've done, I've done more than I can do. On the Pentecost joint evening, David Bourne said that the, the role of a, of a preacher was to open scriptures and to show Jesus. And I hope that throughout this morning, that's what I'm doing. It's pointing it back to Jesus. So our God is a God who delivers when it comes to deliverance. But our deliverance is then meant to lead to action. It's not that we go, oh, great, lovely, God's delivered me. That's very nice. Our deliverance is meant to then lead to action. When God speaks to Moses, Moses is low. He's rejected by the Israelites, the very people who want he wants to help. And at this point, Moses seems like he's ready to throw in the towel. But then God takes him on this amazing journey, incredible journey. He reminds him of the past with Abraham and Jacob and that he was sufficient for them. He reminds him of the, the present, the pain that he has for his people when he sees them enslaved. 
He remembers the covenant. And then he speaks of the future. And he speaks of slaves that have become freed. Those held by masters, he will redeem. Those who are lost, he will lead. And the land that he has given to the people. The journey that Moses has taken on then leads him to speak to the people. But they don't listen to him, as often is the case, isn't it? They don't listen to him, and Moses needs another boost. So in verse 13, it says, But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel, about Pharaoh king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. God doesn't just give us deliverance, although that is incredible. I'm not in any way limiting that. But he also gives us a commission. God sent Moses and Aaron to a people blinded by fear and darkness from the situation they're in. He opened the eyes of Moses to who he was and in turn gave him a charge to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Who does that sound a lot like? Sounds like us. Who has God shown his light to so that he can then bring his light to the darkness? Sounds very much like us. Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you to the end of the age. God's deliverance is meant to lead to action. It's clear throughout the Gospels and the book of Acts, delivered people promote deliverance. If you're delivered this morning, your job is to promote deliverance, is to show the freedom that you live in. And one of the signs of salvation is that perseverance in God through faith. The Holy Spirit dwells within us and shows us the amazing character and nature of God and what he's done for us. And he leads us to continually growing faith in him and being sanctified in him. And if you're a Christian here today, that's something you should be excited about, that actually you are going from glory to glory. And through God alone, we will persevere to him. I think one of the other signs that, of deliverance that actually has got a bit of a bad rap recently is servitude. I know that we, it's sort of become a bit of a dirty word in this culture, the thought of, of serving someone else ahead of us. But actually, that's, I think, what we should be pushed to do in, uh, by the Holy Spirit. I think one of the things I love about Christchurch is, is just the serving nature. And I think it starts top down. Um, I think it starts, you know, the elders are, are, are serving people. And from that, we then get caught up in that. So many people here devote time and prayer and money to the work of the church, and that's amazing. But I think we need to be really careful that we don't fall into a sense of obligation. We don't fall into a sense of actually, I'm serving, I've done my bit for the week, or isn't the church lucky that I served this morning because without it wouldn't have made it. I think we need to be really careful that actually our, our primary position has to be the church and the church's work and everything else goes around it. I think serving comes from the heart. What does Paul say in his letter to Romans? Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honour. Let's be a people who outdo one another in showing honour this morning. Let's be a people who keep going the extra mile for each other. Because that's what shows us as different. That's that freedom that I was speaking of earlier. That freedom to serve other people, not to care what I look like. Actually, to serve. That's, that's countercultural, And that's what the church should be like. So when you look at Moses' journey, 
And it's, it's spelled out really nicely in Hebrews 11. It says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of, pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith the people passed through the Red Sea onto dry land and when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. In each of those, when it says faith, I don't know if you notice, but straight afterwards it's an action. It's not Moses had faith and so he was comforted, although that's true. It's Moses had faith and so he acted. God gave him the faith to deliver his people and that God would deliver his people because God called him for a purpose and God has called you for a purpose too. If you take one thing from today, if you take one thing, if you haven't heard anything else from what I've said, faith to deliver, what does it do in one sentence? It puts into perspective what should be at the center of your attention. It puts into perspective what should be at the center of your attention. Whose perspective? God's perspective. Like we said earlier, the lens that we see the world through has got to be God's heart the perfect love, the holy nature. And what should be at the center of your attention? You need to ask, what's at the center of God's attention? For Moses, it was God's heart for his people to be set free from the Egyptians. It says in verse 6 to 9 that he will be their God and they will be his people. And God's heart is very similar today. It's exactly the same. He doesn't change. I'd just like to ask the band to come up. If you're here today and life is tough, maybe your job is difficult or, or maybe it's fallen through completely, maybe relationships are tough, friends and families, and every spare moment that you have, whether waking or sleeping, goes back to that one thing. The Holy Spirit wants to put him back in the center this morning. The Holy Spirit wants to meet individually with you and put God back in the center. Because he, he has a plan and a purpose and a love for you. If you don't know Jesus today as your saviour, then I want to say again, you're just so welcome. So, so welcome. And God wants to welcome you into his family this morning. God wants to break you free from that sense of always needing to deliver and get everything right. Because heck knows, I, I don't. I don't get everything right. He wants a relationship with you. Come to him this morning. We're going to sing a song called... I see the king of glory. And the bridge says, heal my heart and make it clean. Open up my eyes to things unseen. If you're the first person this morning, then actually God wants to do that this morning. He wants to heal your heart. He wants to bring him back to the center of your life. If you're the first person back in the start, actually he wants to break your heart for what breaks his. The song says, break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I am for your kingdom cause. It's a picture of God and a declaration for the future. Let's worship him. You have been
been listening to a sermon from Christchurch Hailsham. For more information or to contact us, visit ChristchurchHailsham.org.